Well, good morning. Hey, that was an awesome worship time. That was exciting. It's really exciting to be standing preaching in a Royals jersey, you know? That's kind of fun. I preached in a Chiefs jersey. I preached in a Broncos jersey because I helped pastor a church for a while in Colorado, and they were incredibly mean to me and gave me no option. So I did preach in a Tim Tebow jersey a couple times. But this is much better. This is hometown. So... And hey, happy birthday as a church last week. That's incredibly exciting that the church is three years old. It's fun because I, you know, actually I was here on your birthday, the very first Sunday I got to be here. And so it's just been exciting to see how God has used this and how he has moved and the church has come to where it's at. And I know there is a great deal more ahead of you, a great deal more. So I'm excited just to see where God takes this church and not just this church, but this city being impacted through this church. Uh, I'm excited about this series. I love that theme about Domino. I love the fact that, uh, you know, you're really learning to fall into each other, learning to make relationships, learning more about our neighbors, learning more and more about how the Lord Jesus uses us. And I want to walk through a chapter, which I think is one of the most fun, enjoyable chapters in all of Scripture. We're going to walk through Jonah chapter 3 and uh, look at how God used this prophet in one of the most incredible ways, in one of the most incredible stories that we have in the scripture. But before we go there, I wanna pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we ask it in this time that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak deeply to our hearts. And Father, even as we have just sung in worship, we were dead in our sins. And because of Jesus, we are made alive. And that really is the theme of Jonah chapter three. And so, Father, today may we realize that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. That only Jesus gives us hope. Only Jesus gives us life. And, Father, no matter where we might be, no matter how down, how discouraged, how defeated we might feel today, may we see your truth in Scripture, the truth of your mercy and your grace, and may you, by your Spirit, apply it to each heart here. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, you know what, if you would just raise your hand, because I know that they've got some Bibles that they would love to pass out to you, and uh, so if you don't have one, just kind of wave, and they'll make sure you have one, because I want you to walk along with us through Jonah chapter 3. I love this story about Jonah. It's interesting, because a lot of times when you think about Jonah, the first thing you think of is, well, it's kind of a children's story. It's used a lot in children's church and vacation Bible school, and why is that? Because it's got so many crazy elements, you know, the storm and the big fish and a man inside of a fish and this place repenting. And so we use it a lot with children because it's got some real oddities to it. But I just put forth for you that I think this is one of the most powerful stories for us as adults because I think it speaks deeply to the fact that you cannot run away from God and that the mercy of God can absolutely transform any life. And I think that there's proof in here uh, that God can do these amazing things. So I want to kind of have a long, long introduction because I want to make sure that you know at least a little bit about kind of how the whole story starts in chapters one and two, and then we'll go full force into chapter three. So chapter one, verse one, it says, the Lord, excuse me, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great, great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its wickedness 
has come up before me. Now, when God says go to the great city, he doesn't mean that this is a, man, this is a great city. He means it is a huge city. This is Nineveh. This is the heart of Assyria. Two million people. This is one of the most ruthless cities in the entire world that we have ever known of in history. You have to understand that for this story to really come home to you. You have to understand that the Assyrians wanted to absolutely conquer the entire world, and in doing so, they would do things that were ruthless. Actually, as I went through this text this past week, it made me think a lot about ISIS. It's just, it is so ruthless, it's hard to believe things that they would do. They would not just want to destroy you, they would want to absolutely demoralize you in every way. They would take people and they would bury them in the sand up to their neck and let them die in the sand from the heat. They would cut off heads and they would build pillars where they would live uh, using human heads. It was absolutely staggering the things that they would do to people. People hated Nineveh. They hated Assyria. It was absolutely the worst place. And yet, the word of the Lord, it says, came to this prophet Jonah and says, go to Nineveh. Three words that would radically change his life. Because they were attacking everybody. It would be saying to a Jew in 1942, hey, go to Berlin and find the Nazis and the SS troops and and make sure that you preach mercy and grace to them. It would just be that staggering. You think, you know, that would be absolutely the last place in the world that I would go. What God says, Jonah, you should do, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. And we're going to see that Jonah also believes that this does not make sense. But we are like Jonah so much in the story because we are called by God to take the message of the gospel to the world. We are called to take it out. It says in verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. He heads for Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa, he finds a ship there bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he goes aboard and he sails for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So God says go to Nineveh, he goes exactly the opposite direction. Why? Is he scared? No, I don't think he is, ultimately. Uh, Does he think, well, this will be embarrassing because I want to go and I want to preach there and they might not repent and that would be embarrassing? That's not it either. Why does he flee? We're told actually in chapter four, he doesn't want to go because he knows that God is a merciful God and he fears that the people will repent. He doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't want anything good to happen to this, you know, to this people. He is a superior, self-righteous, egotistical, racist, ungracious bigot. And he doesn't want anything good to happen to these people that he absolutely despises. He hates Nineveh. He says, I don't want to go there because I know the way that God works and God is so often gracious. I want to run my own life. I want to get on a boat and go the other direction. I want to be in charge of my own life. How many of you are on the run from the Lord this morning? How many of you just have a real sense that God has called you to do this and yet you have done exactly the opposite and you're trying to go someplace far away from where God has called you. Maybe you're fleeing spiritually, morally, behaviorally. You're just running from God. Because you're trying to say, you know what, apart from God, I'm, I want to make it somehow. I want to make it in this life. It's easy to be on the run. Just know that. 
Because there is always a boat in life headed for Tarshish. Always. I know God wants me to serve in a greater way in this church, but I want to go to Tarshish. I know that God wants me to have that difficult conversation with my son that I've been dreading for a year, but there's always a boat going toward Tarshish. I know that God wants me to confess my addictions to a really trusted friend, but I want to go to Tarshish. I know God wants me to get involved in a mission trip, but I want to go to Tarshish. I know that God is calling me to be more generous in this church with my finances. I want to go to Tarshish. Sometimes I sense that God wants me to really surrender my life to him, but I want to get on a boat going the other direction. There is always a boat going to Tarshish. Just know that. Sin is easy. You know, women, if you're ever incredibly lonely, there's always a young man waiting to fill your needs. There's a boat going to Tarshish. Men, there's always a computer nearby where you can access pornography. There's always a boat going to Tarshish. Always. But that's not where God has called us. God has called us someplace very different. Every time we sin, it always involves us running away from the Lord. But it says in chapter 1 that God sends a storm. So he gets on this boat, he's going toward you know, Tarshish, and God sends this huge storm. I, I love that, because if you really look all throughout Jonah, you'll see the Lord is sovereign. In chapter 1, he appoints a storm. He appoints a big fish. I love the fact in chapter 4 that he, it says, and God appointed a worm. God calls a worm to do his work. And I always say, listen, God is sovereign. If God can use fish and he can use worms, he can use us. God is absolutely in charge. God sent a storm. This storm is not God's wrath. This storm is God's mercy. I mean, just amazing mercy. You see, his wrath would have been just to let him go. Just, just let Jonah go. Just forget about Jonah. But the storm is a storm of mercy. And so there's panic on the boat. Panic. And so after a while, they learn through the fact that they cast lots, they learn the fact that this man, Jonah, is responsible. He says, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm on the run right now from God. And so after trying to do everything that they could, finally they throw him overboard. And we know the story, this big fish comes along and swallows him. And then chapter 2 takes place in the belly of this big fish. Jonah cries out, and he has this time of amazing repentance, you know, just saying, God, clearly I got this wrong. But being in the belly of a big fish is not the place that we want to be in life, right? Let me just make sure that we understand this. Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's psalm of sorrow and lament and crying out to God. Lots of you are there today. Lots of those around you are in that same place. We live in a culture that in one sense lives this chapter. A lot of people feel like they are in a fish in the bottom of the ocean. And they're crying out to God saying, God, I just, I just don't know what to do. Things don't make sense right now. I love the fact that you've been talking more and more about your neighbors and just how to reach your neighbors. And one of the biggest steps is just getting to know your neighbors, just starting to learn their names. That's an incredible step. Let me just encourage you to think about your neighbors here for just a second. I want you to think about the 100 people that live closest to you. You might be in like an apartment complex. It might be a house. So like if you're in a house, you might think, 
okay, five houses down on this side of the street, five houses down on this side, five on the other side, and maybe some back, back here behind me. Think of the 100 people that live closest to you. Just kind of get some names in your mind and some faces. Let me tell you about your neighbors in Lee Summit. 51 of them are on Facebook. Over half of them own a smartphone. Four of them have cancer. 16 have absolutely no idea how they are going to pay the bills this month. 46 will not be able to pay the minimum on their charge card this month. 13 are one month behind on their mortgage. 29 of them are upside down on their mortgage. 34 have been divorced. Seven of them struggle with depression in a way that's so severe they have contemplated suicide. Three of them are grieving right now the death of a family member. Seven of them, they're alcoholics. Fourteen of them feel severe anxiety in life. They feel trapped. Eight of them are struggling with the loss of a job right now. Eighty of them did not attend church anywhere last week in Lee Summit or in Kansas City. Sixty of them do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are your neighbors. Those are the people we are trying to reach. Most of your neighbors feel like they are inside of a big fish at the bottom of the ocean. They are desperately seeking answers. So as Jonah is inside this big fish... Chapter 2, verse 9, this revelation comes to him. And in one sense, this is the theme of all of Scripture. And it's simply this. Salvation comes from the Lord. He realizes, you know what? Ultimately, salvation is from the Lord. It's not from me. It's not from my persuasive words. It's not from anything apart from the Lord. Salvation is absolutely holy from the Lord. That's what this is all about. And then God graciously spits him out on the beach. And then chapter 3, verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Don't you love that verse? That verse says, you know, with God, there's a second chance. With God, there's a third chance. There's a fourth chance. There's a 55th chance. With God, there is incredible grace. You see, the stories of Scripture are filled with people whom God gave a second chance to after they radically blew it. You've got the story about Abraham. He was stopped short of that great land, yet ultimately because he had lied so many times and done so many crazy things in life and lied about his wife. And I mean, God gave him graciously second chance. Jacob, his name means liar. Keep in mind, he lied to a blind man. That's as low as you can get. And yet God gave him a second chance. Moses, Moses murdered a man, and yet God gave him a second chance. Peter Denying Jesus was given a second chance. Saul, who ultimately became Paul, that's an incredible second chance. God is the God of the second chance. God uses broken people. His mercy is abounding. And so this brings us to chapter 3. And so I want to look at uh, three things here very, very quickly. I want to look at God's constant mercy, how we respond to God's mercy, And then just to be really clear that God is indeed a God of mercy. So first of all, God's constant mercy. So verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. It's interesting because back in 
chapter 1, it said, go preach against the city. Go preach against it. It's wicked. It's violent. But in chapter 3, he's saying, go proclaim to it the message that I will give you. Verse 3, I love it. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Finally. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Once again, Jonah's going to the most violent place in the world. And he says he's going to walk into the very heart of the city. This is like a Chiefs fan going to a Raiders game and you sit in the black hole and you proclaim that they're all going to go to hell apart from Jesus. You'd be killed there. Now, I usually like to say that we should love on every city. I don't know about Oakland. I still struggle with that one. I work with lots of pastors in the area, you know, lots of folks in Oakland. They're all mean. Everybody's mean in Oakland. I just want you to know that. So, but woven throughout the story is a message. God loves a city that doesn't love him. Nineveh doesn't love God. They're not pursuing the Lord, and yet God has set his affections upon this city. Nineveh is the place, it's, it's, it's just impossible. It's out of reach. You know, God can do great things, but God will never be able to change the heart of this person. God, God could never change the leaders of ISIS. He couldn't do that. Friends, Nineveh is as bad as you can ever imagine. Nineveh, you know what, this, this town of of all of these Assyrians in Nineveh, it's, it's that family member you've prayed for, but you are convinced that they could never, ever change. It's the person that works next to you who mocks your faith and laughs at you. It's the peer at school that you try to share your faith with and they treat you, you know, like you're a jerk. It's the neighbor that you're trying to love, but they just ignore you and they won't respond to anything that you're trying to do. It's that situation that you believe this can't ever get better. This thing, this situation, this person, this is beyond God. And God gives us this story to make very clear, nobody is outside of the reach of the Lord. It can always get better. And then one thing which I love here, because this is, this, is, this is comedy in Scripture. Because I'm convinced that what takes place here, this is the worst sermon ever preached in history. I don't think that that's an exaggeration. Jonah goes in and he says this, hey, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. To keep in mind, he's been in the belly of a fish for three days. He doesn't exactly look good. He doesn't exactly smell good. He's not all put together. And he goes in and he preaches this message, which in our Bibles is eight words. It's six words in Hebrew. Six words. So God says, hey, go proclaim my message to the city. Jonah goes in and he just preaches six words. Essentially, he says, hey, God hates you. He's going to burn the place down. I'm out of here. That's pretty much it. He just walks away. Are you serious? Is that it? Where's all, the, where's all the characteristics of preaching in the Old Testament? Where's the, hey, this is a word from the Lord, and he doesn't actually name the sins, and he doesn't make appeal for the victims of injustice, and there's no mention of God here. God said, go proclaim the message that I give to you. He clearly doesn't. What's up with that? Why doesn't he go and say, hey, listen, here's how I know that God is merciful. Because you can't believe my past week. You can't believe what's been going on in my life. God called me to come here. I went in the opposite direction. 
got thrown into the ocean, spent three days in this huge fish. You can't believe what I've been through. Why didn't Jonah say, God has been merciful to me. I know that he can be merciful to you. He leaves out hope. He leaves out the basic statement of, hey, if you repent, God will relent. That's the most basic message that he could have preached. He doesn't preach it. Keep this in mind. When you preach grace without truth, that's just enabling people. If you preach truth without grace, you're being a bully. That's just bullying people. When you preach both grace and truth, and then actually also truth together, I mean, that's, that's really Christianity. Grace and truth meeting together. That's the message of the gospel. I laugh in the fact that there's a bunch of scholars who say, well, there's no way that he just preached six words. This, you know, this has got to be like a summary of the message. Listen, if this is the summary of the message, it's worse. It's worse. It's like you go home and somebody says, I didn't make it to church today. I heard you had a guest preacher. Yeah, it was actually Jimmy Dodd. Really, what did he preach on? Uh, God hates us. We're going to hell. That was pretty much it. Wow, wasn't there anything else? No, that kind of sums it up. I mean, if that's the summary, it's worse. I mean, just think about that. God has called him to proclaim a message, and he just absolutely does the worst job. He's a racist bully preaching a terrible sermon that's woefully incomplete to a terribly violent city. And you know what happens? God uses it. Isn't that crazy? Salvation belongs to the Lord. I've been in some church services and heard a person stand up and preach what I thought was a very weak message and then watched hundreds of people respond. And I'm just out there going, what just happened? Salvation belongs to the Lord. I had a friend, you know, sharing Christ with, and he just, man, he just doesn't get it. And then in college, He's dissecting a cat and looks at this cat and says, oh my gosh, there is a God. And he gives his life to Jesus in the midst of dissecting a cat. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I have a friend who will tell you he came to Christ by the fact that he was driving down the road and saw a verse on a license tag. Went home and opened up his Bible, read that verse. I am not a big Verses on the license tag kind of people. I'm just not that kind of a person. Unless you're my dentist in South Carolina who had a brilliant verse on his license tag. All right, he's a dentist. He had Psalm 8110. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I thought, okay, I, I like that one. But you know, people come to Jesus because of a license tag. Listen, salvation belongs to the Lord. It says 40 more days, and God's going to wipe this place out. And you think, wow, it's a little harsh, isn't it? No. Understand this. One day would have been merciful. 
If God said, hey, listen, I want to give you guys one day, that would have been merciful. 40 days is incredible. That is God holding back his wrath. That is God holding back his judgment. That's a picture of the culture in which we live. God is holding back his judgment right now upon this nation, upon our world, to allow us to have more and more time to preach the message of God's mercy. The fact that there was 40 days, this is a picture of an incredibly gracious, kind God. 40 days is amazing. And you know what happens? They respond to the mercy. They respond to God's mercy. We expect them to respond with violence and pushback and mocking, even death. Instead, something absolutely incredible happens. It says in verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I love the fact they believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. This is the miracle of the book. It's not the fish, it's not the worm, it's not the storm. This is the miracle in the fact that God used this and 120,000 people fall on their face and they give their life to the Lord. The fact that God moves the heart of a king and that he takes off his robe and he puts on sack, you know, sackcloth and ashes and it's an absolutely amazing story of God transforming lives. Friends, God can use anyone to reach anyone. That is the message of the story. We sometimes doubt. I just don't, I doubt that God can reach my neighbors. I, gosh, I know that we say that we want to use this church to, to reach this city, and I'm excited, but, you know, there's times in my heart I just really don't know. Friends, we don't expect anything from Jonah's trip to Nineveh. We are surprised if he comes out alive. But you know what? God's purposes are always attended by God's power. I know what God's purpose is for this church. It's to bring transformation to this city. And I know that God's power comes along with it. You see, the message of this chapter is God uses broken, sinful people to take the message of mercy and grace to a city, to a people that desperately need it. Now, let me just make sure that you understand this. The messenger in the story is unfit. The message is way too short. The words are incomplete. This is way too big of a city. The audience is way too violent. And the time frame is way too short. And God, through a miracle, transforms this city. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't happen. And yet God uses Jonah. Why? Because God can use us. It frees us from our worries about as we share the gospel with people. It frees us to know that the work is really not ours, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Salvation belongs to the the Lord. Listen, I I know we have fears. You know, you you have fears about, gosh, you know, we talk about reaching our neighborhood and sharing our faith, and I don't know if I know how to evangelize. What if people ask me questions that I don't know how to respond to? Gosh, I don't know if if I could just offend somebody. Friends, it's just reaching out. People want to see what a friend they have in you before they hear what a friend they have in Jesus. It's just being a friend to them, caring for them, and then knowing salvation belongs to the Lord. And they ask you some questions, and you kind of stammer through it, and you're trying to share the Lord with them, and you think, oh, my goodness. Friends, God used Jonah. Nobody here will ever be that bad. You'll never even be close to it. 
And yet God used Jonah and 120,000 people fell on their face and gave their lives to the Lord. It's incredible. Jonah comes to them and says, hey, you know what? God hates you, and so do I. What should he have said? Man, look at my life. Look at my clothes. I've been inside of a fish, and yet God sent me here to give you this message. I know that God can transform a life. He, re- he transformed mine in the midst of a fish. God can transform your life. Then third, just being clear on the God of mercy. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relents, we're told in verse 10, and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. You see, they just take a baby step in the right direction. Now, it wasn't the fact that it was sackcloth and ashes and a fast. Those things were the outward signs of what God was doing in their heart. And what they were doing was they were turning from their ways and they were turning to the Lord. They were repenting. There was a lifestyle change, but there was much more than that. There was a heart change. And you think, yeah, but wait a second. How could God overlook their sins? Come on, just, I mean, that... That just can't be it. It can't be that simple. Think about what they had done. These are the people that skinned people alive. They buried people in the sand. They built the pillars out of heads. You can't just say it's that easy. How could God be that gracious and forgive them without them doing more? And when I think about that question, the only thing that that makes me think about is, how could God forgive me with my self-righteousness? My judgmental attitude, my pride and arrogance. You see, if I think about that question, I have to think about myself. I have to think, how could God forgive me? Times when I have not spoken up for the Lord. Times when I have failed to really believe that he is a God of immeasurable grace and unexpected mercy. And I fall short. You see, our only hope is the gospel. You see, like Jonah, Jesus was sent to a very hardened culture. But unlike Jonah, Jesus faithfully delivered the message from heaven. You see, Jonah and Jesus are forever linked in Luke, chapter 11 and verse 30, which says this. For as, you know, you have this prophet. As this prophet Jonah was assigned to all of these Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be for this, this generation. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation, and they will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, Jonah's words were weak. It was all about self-righteousness. And yet people believed him after he was resurrected from a fish after three days how much more so should we believe the ultimate prophet the lord jesus christ when he is resurrected after three days if they would believe jonah how much more so should we not believe jesus you see the goal of every preacher should be that we want you to take action as a result of this but if you leave here thinking about more about what you need to do more so than you think about what Jesus Christ has done for you, in one sense, we failed. Because we need you to think more and more about, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. This is what God offers you, is his grace and his mercy. 
That is what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished upon the cross and then through that resurrection. You see, what Jesus offers you here today is family. Family is incredibly important, right? I mean, if you talk about those things in life that you really hold on to dearly, I mean, you're going to talk about your family. You know, when I want to uh, show, show you a picture, I think we, we might have it here, of my family. That's my family right there. Um, it's my wife, Sally, and my son, Mark. And on the left is his wife, who was discipled in high school by the Cummings to go to this church. Is that a fun connection or what? So that's my son's wife, and then Megan and Sarah, and the two girls down front, Paige and Allie, are both obviously adopted. That's my family. You can become a part of a family in three ways. There's only three ways, right? Blood, marriage, and then adoption. Those are the only three options. And it's fun that we have all three of those in my family. I've got children by blood, my wife and my son's wife by marriage, and then I've got two little girls who are adopted. Here is the message of the gospel. Listen to this. The thing that we long for in life is to be secure. We want to know that we're in a family, no matter what. You are God's family if you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're his family in all three ways. Through his blood, he's adopted you. You're his bride. There's a marriage supper of the lamb coming. That's how sure we know that we're his family. You're his family through blood, through adoption, and through marriage. That's how secure your place is in God's family. That's the message that we take out to people. That's the message that Lee Summit, the Kansas City, is longing for, the message of hearing. I want to know that there's some hope in life. I want to know that there's some mercy. I want to know there's some grace because right now my life stinks. I'm in the midst of so much hard, painful things. I just don't know which way to turn. People are longing for this message. And God has appointed you to be the ones to take that message to this city. And God has given us stories like Jonah to give us encouragement to know that even though we might think that I'm the last person in the world who could ever possibly do it, salvation comes from the Lord. It's not going to be from you. Salvation comes from the Lord. If God can use Jonah, God can use you. If God can transform the hearts of those in Nineveh, he can transform the hearts of anybody anywhere. You see, it's a story of extremes so that we will have no excuse. It's a story of extreme so that we will know that God's mercy is for me. God's grace is for me. I pray that God would use this story and this encouragement for you to take the message to your neighbors who desperately need to hear that there is a God of hope, a God of peace, a God of life itself. And I pray here that you would leave here thinking more and more about what the Lord, though, has done for you. We use the term, we hope that you leave thinking more about 
justification than sanctification. Although both are extremely important, but nothing is more important than the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has justified you through his shed blood upon the cross and through his resurrection. That is the hope we have in Jesus. Let's pray together.